0: This week on the podcast, I have a chance to catch up with Larry Lichten. We discuss the grind of the PBA Tour and Larry's opinion and Larry's thoughts on how folks should try to handle that out there. We also talk about some of the things that we see these days regarding league play and Larry's thoughts on league play and where league play is evolving to from where it's been. So all of those things and many, many more coming up next with Larry Lichten on the Above180.com podcast.
1: Hi, I'm Lindsay Boomershine, brand manager of High Five Gear h5g has thousands of designs to choose from and no hidden artwork fees how awesome is that have your jersey tell your story order online at wwwhighthenumber the number five gear.com today add h5g into your wardrobe and show off your individuality use code above 180 at checkout for $20 off any h5g style order today and enjoy highfiveyear.com.
0: Hey, bowlers. Bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at BowlingThisMonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me on the Above180.com podcast is Larry Lickstein. Larry was elected into the PBA Hall of Fame back in 1996. He will also be inducted into the USBC Hall of Fame coming up here soon. Larry has two USBC Open Championships titles and was Rookie of the Year back in 1969. Larry, it's Tim Berg here. Thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you so much,
1: Jim. It's a pleasure to be with you again. I, uh, I understand we did something in Reno. I had forgotten about it, but it's good to be back with you.
0: Of course, no worries there, Larry. I had you when I was doing some extra framework. We had you in the booth there, and then we uh, we got to knowing each other through uh, through some other avenues as well and chatted. So I thought it'd be good to bring you on. Speaking of the PBA, let's begin right there with the PBA. Kind of beginning or in the in the first third, you could say of the new PBA is what a lot of the guys are calling it. Uh, I'd love to get your observations on what you're seeing out there from some of the players, and then um, and then just share some of that as. They're back to the grind of having to bowl on a week to week basis.
1: Well, I've always been a fan. You know, I started watching bowling uh, when I was seven years old. In 1957, I started watching uh, reruns of uh, championship bowling with uh, Whispering Joe Wilson and Fred Wolf, and then later on, Top Star Bowling with Jack Buck, and then, of course, uh, Make That Spare with Johnny Johnston. Then, of course, uh, when Schenko and Waylou started uh, in, in '62. So I go back, you know, about 62 years of telecasts, and I remember them vividly. Of course, now with YouTube, you get a a refresher course. But um, I'm I'm very impressed with the Fox telecasts. Uh, I think Randy does a a very good job. And, um, you know, the shows are a lot different than when I was uh, out there as player service director. But different doesn't mean bad. They're just different. Different scoring, different equipment, to, and different pin carry, that's for sure. Uh, I watched this show this last week. Uh, I've never seen a bowler in my life in a championship match leave two ringing 7-10s like Belmonte left. Those two leaves were from another world. I don't know how that's possible that could happen, but it did. Uh, on the same lane, four major title. that breaks a world record. Uh, had to be heart—you know heartbreaking for him. But uh, this new equipment and, of course, uh, their entry angles and the amount of power with these cores, the RG differential, cause pin carry we've never seen before or pin standing we've never seen before. So um, it's unique. It's different. Of course, for the beginning viewer, they only know this era. But for the old people like me, you know, we, we see it a little differently, I guess you could call it.
0: Yeah, Larry. What are some of your observations regarding the tour as it as it gets going through the month here? And and we've had uh, you know we've had the one major, like you said, we've had tournaments all of January. What are some of the things and some of the players you're seeing? Is there maybe a common thread you're seeing from the guys out there on tour that are making the shows?
1: Well, it's interesting. It's obvious to me that the high rev rates uh, create so much area. Number one, and so much pin carry. And number two the two-handed player, or vice versa, the number one, the two-handed player and their high river race, obviously starting to dominate more and more in this new era, which Belmonte pretty much created in the last 10 years. And of course, now you've got your junior league players across the country, emulating what they see on TV, no different than I did when I was learning at the bowl in my generation. So the influence of television and the power that's created with the two-handed style is obviously changing the game right in front of our eyes. Uh, there's a lot of people that don't like it. There's a lot of people that say it's illegal. I don't because I've seen really every environment other than shellac and, and two-finger bowling balls with the middle finger and the thumb other than Eddie Lubansky, who I saw bowl in my life, you know, live actually. But um, it's different. It's unique. Um, I don't want to knock it. I don't think it's fair uh, to the PBA or to the young gentlemen that have mastered it. Uh, And and unfortunately, in our sport, that does happen. You know, when the lefties dominated in the early 70s, you know, we got beat up bad by all the righties. Now, all the righties that throw it one-handed are beating up all the righties that throw it two-handed. It's not a beating each other up, which I really feel demeans our sport. Um, not that I haven't done it. I have, but as I've gotten older, I guess, um, and I'm no longer out there. I take a different approach. Um, I just want the sport to be successful. I want our prize funds to grow and I want our audience to grow and our sponsorship base to grow. So I, I look at it a little different than maybe if I was out there uh, I might get influenced a little more, uh, by the week to week, comments, but, um, it is what it is. Two hand bowling is taking over and, uh, I think what's going to happen is sooner or later there's going to be a woman that comes out of a foreign country who's built low to the lane and weighs about 180 pounds. I could rip on it and get 600 revs, and she's going to dominate on a ladies' tour, and I think that's right around the corner. And when that happens, uh, I can assure you uh, that's that's going to create a lot of controversy, and I think that's next.
0: So, uh, as you're, um and you mentioned your services as a, a director of player services for the PBA. One of the things that I do, some of the flow bowling podcast as well, and I had Ronnie on, Ronnie Russell on a show a, a while back. And when Ronnie, Ronnie's assertion was that you're going to start to maybe see some tempers flare a little bit more, like you haven't in the paddock. Do you? What are your thoughts on that? And and being from an era when you guys probably people did get a little more fired up than what they what you see now, and and everyone seems to you know kind of be be more more buddy-buddy-wise as opposed to back when you were out there on tour and, and even in your time as uh, director of player services?
1: Well, I had two errors.
0: I had the era that I bowled from 67 to 74, and then
1: I had another 22 years as you know a professional spectator, if you will. Um, there's no doubt that because there is not a lot of money in the world of bowling that uh, the domination factor uh, creates a lot of dissension. Uh, in my day and age, uh, when the lefties dominated in the late 60s and early 70s, the PBA was literally forced to go to lane maintenance because they wanted uh, to uh, understand some of the ramifications. And the PBA tour of 1971, 17% of the bowlers were left-handed and they won 49% of the prize money. So that's what created a lane maintenance program uh, back then, of course. Now it's a lot different, you know, since Kegel mastered uh, the trade, you know, with computerized technology. But back then, you know, Lenny Nicholson and Sam Baca had to somehow try and make it fair with a spray gun, and that was not an easy uh, task by any means. So what we have now is uh, the domination of higher players. I'm not so sure that that should be the only type of bowling we watch every week. But the kids today are stronger more, more into muscle building, more into the fundamentals because of the internet, they're educated so much quicker than we were as kids. Right now they can go online and watch a hundred people bowl different ways. Back then the only way you can do it in my day and age was go find a classic league or go to a pro tournament. So they're going to learn from their living rooms today in their bedrooms on their computers. And I feel that alone gives them not only great knowledge, but the right things to practice. And uh, you hate to see somebody like Ronnie using, and I didn't listen to his, um, his interview. Uh, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and certainly Ronnie, he's been out there long enough. But I don't believe that personally they should be ever bickering with each other. They are a product of their own environment. They chose this sport. And Eddie Elias stated it very simple in 1971 when the PBA founded its lane maintenance program. We're going to do the lanes, and if you don't like it, you can go home. And um, there's a lot of people that did. Unfortunately, I have a feeling that could happen again in this generation where if another five or ten two-handers come out and they start taking the checks away from one-handers, you're going to see one-handers going home. And they're going to be right-handed. And that might be a first for the sport of bowling when you see right-handed two-handers sending home right-handed one-handers. But I have a feeling that's right around the corner. I pray I am wrong. I don't want to be right. It's really a little too late to be right anyways. What good is a 69-year-old man going to be whether he's right or wrong? I can't help them either way. But um, uh, uh, it's going to be a very, a very uh, tense time if uh, you start to see three and four and five two-handers on telecasts, I-, I can assure you, it will not, it will not be good for the morale uh, on the tour. And uh, I think they have to address that. I don't
0: know how they would do it, but um, there's some pretty good minds out there. Maybe they'll figure something out. Well, yeah. So let's hit on that a little bit because let's talk. Let's um, you as a guy who's been out there on tour and has some experience, what advice would you have for a player? who maybe they're they're bowling and, and maybe they haven't snagged a check yet. They're in tournament number 5 or 6 or what have you and they haven't snagged a check and they start to press a little bit. How can you how, what what advice would you have for them as far as not to, you know, as far as to press or not to press? And then advice also for these guys handling the grind because for a lot of them it's bowl for a month, go back home for two or three or what have you or or go bowl your regional events. Now you're you're on the road for an extended period of time. Well, I
1: had that happen to me exactly. It is, it is immensely excruciating, especially if you're married and have a child, which I did very young. I, I got married uh, in my teens, and I had a little boy before I knew it. So I was bowling to feed me and my wife and my son. And I had to give a sponsor 50% because that was usually the deals back then. So even if you won 30000 if your profit was 15 for the year, you only ended up with 7500 in the bank. It was not easy then. I don't feel it's easy now. I don't feel it's ever been easy. Obviously, you're going to get your, your greatness that will make a living. You know, a Walter Ray, a, a Belmonti, uh, uh, some of these guys, you know, Billy O'Neill and Tommy Jones and guys that are really perennial, Rhino Page. but uh, there's not a lot of money to be had if you don't make TV. And... Uh, you know, you can make three, four finals in a row, go two weeks out a check and be dead even. So um, that's not fun, especially when you're 1,500 miles from home and your wife calls you up and says, hey, the rent's due and you haven't cashed for two weeks. Uh, and you got to live with that. And you got to have your marriage be successful while you're out there, while you're in, in a motel room. Uh, and um, it is not an easy life. Uh, when you start every week at zero. Now, obviously, the staff members get some money, but I don't think they're getting rich unless they're the top guns. You know, obviously, somebody like, like Jason or or somebody, well, of course, from what I understand, Buttruth signed for very little. He turned out to just be, you know, a freak, if you will, which is, I don't know if I like that word, but um, I've never seen a young man that good, that quick, dominate from coast to coast he's won twenty regionals but if you take him out of the equation there isn't too many really young stars going out there making 150 175,000 like he did last year you know so and he's off to a great start this year where he made probably 40 50 grand already so literally in about 15 months he's up to about a quarter of a mil, and that's where you want to be when you're young you know set your life up put the money in a bank put it in cds You know, don't don't blow it like I did. Every time I made a score, I spent it so fast. I needed to bowl good the next week. So um, you really got to have money management. You really got to be patient with your money. Uh, You've got to invest it wisely. Uh, Buying fancy cars and fancy vans and a $400,000 house doesn't work because the minute you go into a slump, you're stuck with a big mortgage. Um, You got to be careful. You know, it, there's no, there's no guarantees in bowling. Uh, I can think of many stars in recent years. So let's say in the new millennium, the year 2000, that were so hot back then that they made a million dollars within three, four years and three, four years later, they were broke. And I know of several and I, I have pity on them. Uh, they, they, they'll never have that kind of money again. They'll never have that opportunity again. Cause now they're older, but if you don't, you don't watch your money out there nowadays, you got you you could you could run
0: yourself into the ground real quick. Larry, let's uh, let's switch gears a little bit here. You also have two USBC Open Championships titles. So let's talk about that as we've seen the the changes we've been talking about on the PBA Tour. USBC and the Open Championship has also gone gone through a bunch of changes, you know, going back to when it was the old ABC, but now they, you know, we we've, we've gone through even more changes over the last 5 years under the direction of Chad Murphy regarding the, you know, from the tournament shots being uh, withheld from players to the live streaming services being gone, et cetera, I'd love to get your perspective on some of that is, I mean, heck, when you won your Open Championships and the titles out for you, you didn't have live streams and they probably didn't tell you the shot or if they did, it, it might not have meant as much as it does these days. But what is what's your perspective on some of the changes we've been seeing at the Open Championships?
1: Well, I had a very unique career because uh, my, my very first uh, Open Championship uh, going into the 10th frame of the doubles, I was leading uh, the team of Harry Smith and Don Johnson, the team of Don McCune and Jimmy Stefanich all struck out in the 10th to put me and my partner third by six pins. And I was leading singles going into the 10th frame of the last game, just like doubles. And two bowlers needed a double in a 10th, Nelson Burton and Billy Allen, and they did, and they knocked me to third by six pins. But I won the all-events. So here I was 19 years old with an all-events title. And then the next year, I bowled with my four dear friends, uh, Johnny Petraglia, the late Mike McGrath, the uh, late Butch Gerhardt, and my best friend, Ernie Schlegel, and we won the classic team. So right out of the shoot at the age of 19 and 20, I won two Eagles. And to the best of my knowledge, in the last 100 years, I'm the youngest bowler ever to win back-to-back Eagles in his first two USBCs. But uh, I also gave away an Eagle because I took a plane ride I shouldn't have taken. And I got disqualified for a Team Eagle in 72, which I don't bring up a lot. But I was broke. I didn't think my team was going to qualify. I flew home out of Long Beach, and lo and behold, they did. Uh, They got a sub for me the sub shot 547 and he got the Eagle and I didn't, but I led our team to the qualifying portion, but I didn't tell my team captain that I was leaving. So with that being said, you know, you walked into a bowling center, you didn't know what to expect. It was usually an installation. Uh, and it obviously when a computer age came in they gave nothing out but information as well as patterns you could practice on for three months, bring your team on it, break down a, a shot, you know, build a groove. So I don't, but I don't belittle anybody that was smart enough to actually manipulate that pattern by knowing how to bowl on it for three months, using the same oils, same keggle machine and being on staffs where they had a lot of equipment. I don't blame the bowlers. You can't blame the bowlers. Their job is to win. Their job is to strike. I do feel that that policy was demeaning to the championship overall because it definitely created an advantage to some people who could get a bowling center at night, who could be in a position to practice on that shot with the same oil being used, the same machine being used, the same pattern being used, with a proprietor that was willing to give it to them for free where logistics wasn't an issue. And I think Chad was very smart in saying, you know what? Maybe that's a little too much to give out, where there's a lot of people that bowl that tournament that don't have that luxury of being on a staff, that don't have the luxury of walking into a bowling center and getting catered to with a lane machine and patterns. So in essence, uh, I think the privatizing of the information uh, in the long run might be beneficial. I hope it is. But again, you know, when you're not active anymore, which I haven't been, it's almost like your opinion is, uh, well, you know, why is he saying something he doesn't contribute? Or why is he something saying something he doesn't bowl anymore? Or who does he think he is just because he was out there in the days of wood and rubber balls and plastic and so, you know, you gotta watch what you're saying. Um, which I now have to do being that I'm going to be inducted in May into the USBC hall of fame. I certainly don't feel that I'm in a position to be a critic, which sometimes I was, and I I probably uh, overdid that, probably said some things I shouldn't have said, but I don't envy Murphy. I don't envy the USBC at this day and age. Uh, There's a lot of things they have to think about and do and try to please a lot of people. And it's, well, look at the president of the United States. He ple- he pleases 50%. There's 50% that love him, 50% that want to see him drop dead. So it's the same thing in bowling. You know, you're never going to please them all. But in in our case, as as veterans, I think every veteran my age, guys that have been around 40, 50, 60 years, feel the same way. We don't want to see the sport lose lose its attractiveness anymore. We don't want to see bowling centers turned into arcades. Uh, which uh, or closed. We don't want to see league bowling disintegrate and tournaments disintegrate. And our fear is we're watching it before our eyes. And it's gut wrenching for me um, when I see another bowling center tell this league, so well, don't come back. We don't need you. We're going in another direction. Um, when I hear that, I just, my blood boils. But I'm not the owner of it. You know, the guys that own them. You know, they're in debt to 3000000 million. got going to do what they can to get their money back.
0: And uh, so, you know, it's a double-edged sword. Larry, I want to remind folks, please remember, check out H5GBrands.com. You're heading out to the Open Championships or you're looking to bowl some events and you want to look sharp, H5GBrands.com. So many colors, so many styles, so many options to choose from. Use promo code ABOVE180 and you'll get $20 off your next order. That's promo code above one eighty. For $20 off your order, no hidden artwork fees, thousands of designs to choose from. They work with you through the process. You get to design your own shirt, show your individuality, come up with things. They'll help you out through this entire ordeal and process of making your shirt, and you'll have it. It's a great shirt. It'll look sharp. It'll keep you cool while you're bowling. So again, remember, please check out h5gbrands.com today. Right after you get that shirt, go and sign up to BowlingThisMonth.com. Bowling's best and most comprehensive technical resource, all at your fingertips, BowlingThisMonth.com. Lots of great articles there, your ball reviews down your left-hand side. Seeing some stuff right now on the website talking about practicing and talking about life after balance holes. So that's something that we're all going to have to be working on and working towards if you have equipment that currently has balance holes. So uh, Bill Semcerat and the guys do a great job there. Again, check out BowlingThisMonth.com. Larry, final question I have for you. Along those same lines is um, is you talk about league bowling. And and was this something that, you know, I've talked to some different opinions from folks. But has league bowling, the changes we've been seeing with, um, you know, leagues declining, has that been... You know, we can talk about the bowling centers as much as we'd like to, but has that also been really a change in people's work habits and their work schedules that they're they're not around or they're out of town or or they don't feel like committing well, for the long term? You know, the thirty six week leagues like you know you used to be able to do, and you go out and have a couple you know a couple beers with the fellas and bowl your five games or three games rather, and that would be it.
1: Well, the industry started to become very aware of this forty years ago. Uh, they hired uh, some people uh, that were economists and they camouflaged who they were by putting them into positions working for their companies and giving them titles, but their titles were not true titles. They were there to do studies of the future, and I knew one, one gentleman who told me that who worked for AMF, and he was hired for three years in 1977. He had a three-year contract to forecast to AMF the world of bowling between 1980 and 2000. And when they hired him, there was five million sanctioned league sanctioned cards pulled. Maybe not five million bowlers, because some people bowl two and three and four leagues a week. But there was five million sanctioned bowlers. And he predicted in 20 years it would be down to one million. He said you're going to lose a 200,000 league bowlers a year. And then he told them the city's. He said it'll be Green Bay, Milwaukee, Detroit, Chicago, Cleveland, Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, Akron, Toledo. And the reason was it was the Great Lakes region. They were all winter bowlers, and the auto industry in the United States was going to fail. And as it failed, people were going to lose their jobs. And once they lost their jobs, they would lose their recreational dollars. So he put it in writing. He showed it to AMF, and he nutted it. And I'll never forget him telling me at Garden City Bowl that he was leaving, that he had given the report in, and he'd probably never see me again. I never saw him again. I know his name, it's it's a moot point. But the bottom line is he nutted it. He said it's a blue collar sport, and we're gonna le- we're gonna lose these bowlers in these regions. Well, the towns I mentioned were the breadbasket of league bowling, because they were winter towns and people needed recreation. Well, if you look at all your closings and all your decline, it's basically in those states, Wisconsin, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New York, New Jersey. And then, of course, it spread across the country because the bowling centers got old. The wood got burned up. Now you had to spend three, four, five hundred thousand 500000 on synthetics. And then these automatic scoring gimmicks, which are a joke, came in, forced everybody to spend $30,000 a pair of lanes. So in the end, everybody spending money is buying equipment and they don't have the money for their own perils because they had to spend all this money on rebuilding their bowling center. So they closed them and sold it for property rights. So what happens is in the end, because of wood and and the archaic scoring system done by hand, which was a hell of a lot cheaper than spending 500,000 for computers, but nobody wants to do anything anymore by hand. It's just the nature of our society. So, Unfortunately, the game got outgrown by technology that you had to have. So now everything is, is cookie cutter and corporate. And, um, you know, the small bowling center is going by the wayside. And unfortunately for people like myself, it hurts. On the other hand, there's some people that have learned how to do it and still support leagues and tournament play. And my hat's off to them
0: all right well larry i appreciate the time it's been a pleasure chatting and all the best uh all the best and everything and by the way congrats uh like you had mentioned there going into the usbc hall of fame you're already in the pba hall of fame but in may you'll be going into the usbc hall of fame i know that means a lot to you and uh, and i saw some of your posts so so congrats on that and um and all the best of luck moving forward and and do appreciate the insight and and uh and your time you've spent today
1: well thank you so much uh, i'm honored that that you uh Asked me to be on your podcast. And thank you so much for what you do for the sport. And uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Good luck to you.